God's Word, please turn to Ephesians. That's where we're going to be. Uh, as Drew had said, we've got basically two more sermons out of this. Uh, we could have many, many more, okay, especially in this next section that we're talking about, about the, the armor of God. I know people can break that down into one sermon for each section. We're, we're not going to do that. We're just going to cover that section, and we'll move forward into um, Lamentations after that. Today, we're going to be in verses 5 through 9, and, and I am fully aware that in our current culture, our current climate, as far as uh, we are as, as American citizens go, some of, the, some of the words here are what you might refer to as triggers. Uh, and so just understand that we're talking about this because it's in the Bible, and uh, if I, I want you to really listen to the things that I'm saying, not the things that I don't say and then understand it in the context of God's word, okay? And so as we get into this, and part of the reason I say that is because in this text, the NIV refers to slaves and masters. The King James Version refers to servants and masters. The NASB calls them slaves and masters again. In the ESV, which is the scripture that I'm going to be preaching out of that's going to be on the screen, we see the word bond servants and masters. And that's still this idea of this form of slavery, okay? And, and so just understand that before we get into this. And, and so we're going to touch on that. We're going to talk about um, our American context of this, but we're also going to talk about this in the context of what it was written, because we have to remember that uh, we need to view the scriptures through the worldview of the church at the time, through the author at that time, for the church at that time, for the people in that time, and not superimpose our own thoughts or our own history into the text, okay? So we have to be important with that this morning, uh, but I still want to try to be sensitive to that too. So let's read the text, and then I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then I'm going to do my best to take us through this and apply this text to us today, okay? So let's, let's read that. It says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, you are our master. Uh, you have told us time and time again, but specifically you've told us that we are not our own, for we were bought with a price. We sang about being redeemed, which is a word meaning purchased. We have sung that you are our king, that you are our Lord, which is a, our master. James, John, Paul, Peter, Jude, Timothy, all of them in their scriptures that they have written for us, inspired by your spirit, they all wore this title of slavery to Christ. Not as a shame, but as a badge of honor. Therefore, as we look today at this text, let us hear with new ears. Let us read with new eyes. Let us accept with new hearts that which is from you and through you this morning. God, help us to apply this text to us this morning, not only for today, but for the days going forward. Let us not just be hearers, but doers 
of your word. It's, it's in your name and for your glory that we pray this. Amen. So I want to start with the historical context of slavery and what that looks like, right? So the understanding of slavery and, 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 and Paul's words about it here. Because this text can be misused. People would misuse this text by saying things like, look, Paul was for slavery. He, he said, slaves just be a slave and masters go be a master. And so he's for this idea of slavery. Well, that's not the case. And if you read this and you take it as it would be heard by this church in this time period, we have to understand some things about this. First of all, slavery was a part of this society. Slavery is nothing that Americans invented and it's nothing new, and it's been going on for as long as there's been one people group that's stronger than another people group. It's been happening all over for all times. In fact, even within the confines of, of Israel, a, a, a form of indentured servitude, a form of slavery, a, phone, a, a form of people owning other people took place even in that context. In fact, in Deuteronomy, so if you're a note taker and you have notes today, and if you want to write this down, in Deuteronomy 15, uh, God uh, divinely tells Moses in, during the, the, the law and all these things, and as, as, they're, as they're doing these things, they provide means for slaves to be set freed. It's called the year of Jubilee. Perhaps you've heard about this. If, if you haven't heard about this, the way this works is every seventh year, then, there, then things change. So let's say, that, let's say that for whatever reason, I, I couldn't pay bills, and so I, I sold off some property that my great-great-great-great-grandfather had given me, right? And there's these marker stones. And so I had to sell this property so that I could pay whatever I had to pay, or there was a bad harvest year or whatever, since it's very uh, uh, an agrarian culture, right? And so, so we'd sell that. Now, after six years, you could possess that. I'd sold that to you. You could possess that for six years. And the seventh year, you are supposed to return that to me because it is my inheritance, right? So in the same way, it talks about Deuteronomy 15, specifically 12 through 18 here, it says, hey, if your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years. In the seventh year, you shall let them go free from you. And when you let them go free from you, you shall not let them go empty-handed. Hear that? So you're actually supposed to provide for them. Why? Because they've been living in your house, serving you, uh, get, uh, eating and providing for their family for the last six years because of the things that your family has done. And so so then you shall furnish them liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, out of your wine press. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. That the Lord our God redeemed you. There it is, right? Therefore I command you this day, but if he says to you, I will not go from you, because believe it or not, sometimes in this society, being a slave was better than being free. How many of you here have worked for a company and been up for maybe promotion to management, and you're like, no, thank you. <laughs> I do not want all that responsibility and all of that danger or all of that whatever that goes along with that. I would rather just, just come in and punch the clock and then go home and not have to worry about all that other managerial stuff, okay? And so in that context of employee-employer is how we're going to apply this today, okay? So, so put a pin in that. But you see even here in the text, some of these would not want to leave. They had a good master. They had a good setup. And they thought to themselves, I can do way better here than I could on my own. And so there's even ways for that. It says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. But if he says, 
In verse 16, I will not go from you because he loves you and your household since he is well off for you. Then you shall take in all. You should put it through his ear. So basically, you're going to pierce their ear with a big piercing. And that's going to let everybody know that they're your slave now forever. They have decided for this lifestyle. And you shall do the same for your female slave. And so do to them. And it shall not seem hard to you when you let them go free from you. So now this is back to those that you're going to free, right? Basically he's saying, so when the year of Jubilee comes and it's time for you to free them, don't complain and don't grumble and don't complain against this. This is the word of God. So Because you've had the cost of your work. So now let's go back to the Ephesians, right? Because that's Deuteronomy. Uh, that's before Ephesians. That's Old Testament. But now if we look at Ephesians, we're now under the Roman Empire. We're now under Roman rule. What we need to understand is the entire society was kind of built upon this. If you know anything about the Roman Empire, you know one thing, that they were really, really good at conquering people. And so that's what they would do. They would conquer people, and then those people would come in, and uh, they would sometimes be slaves. And, and so there was up to 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire, which, we, which is about half of the entire population, which means that about half of everybody owned the other half of everybody most of whom would have a pagan slave master. But few had Christian masters. There is actually a book in your Bible called Philemon, or Philemon, depending on how you pronounce it, but there's a book in your scriptures, Philemon, and dealing with a slave called Onesimus, or Onesimus, depends on how you pronounce it, right? And Paul is writing to the slave owner and saying very similar things as to what we're hearing in the text in Ephesians also. Receive them back as a brother. Perhaps that's even why he was separated from you, so that he could come to Christ, so that I could send him back to you. And then it's understood by the text that this slave, uh, Onesimus, or Onesimus, went back. And at least, for our understanding, continued to serve Philemon or Philemon. And so the fact that Paul has more to say on this, also in Colossians 3, 22 through 4, 1, it reflects the social structure of the day. However, it is wrong to say that since he doesn't outrightly oppose it in the text, in our opinion, that he somehow condones it. That's an unfair and unbiblical, unpauline argument. You have to understand that the, the way that the Greeks, who were very intelligent, very brilliant in many different ways, this is how Aristotle would speak of this. He, he wrote that you could never have friendship between a master and a slave because a master and a slave have nothing in common. He, in fact, says, quote, a slave is a living tool just as a tool is an inanimate slave. And so what we need to understand on, in this text is even in this society, the society that believed like that, Roman citizens, Roman empires, who would 60 million, half the population would be in slavery, Paul is writing to them and explaining how there should be equality through Christ. So in actuality, what Paul is saying here to them is absolutely radical. And it's important that we understand that in the context of the scripture, lest we be offended or offend someone else. 
Paul undermines slavery immensely in this text. He does it other places, like in Galatians, where he says, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, you put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. That's huge. There is neither, neither slave nor free. There it is again. There is neither male nor female. Another equality gap. And so first, although Paul did not not outrightly condemn slavery, he does not condone it. Secondly, his discussion and duties of Christian fellowship, Christian relationships, which is what we've been studying for the past couple Sundays, husbands and wives, uh, parents and children, and now slaves and masters, all within the context of who would be in the household, that's where they would be. Uh, He transforms this institution And thirdly, this is a huge part of the reason and the understanding of why slavery here in America and overseas was ultimately destroyed and done away with because of the theological teachings found in Scripture, of the identity of people being found as image bearers, and so therefore their lives are sacred, and also cutting down between Jew and Greek, slave or free, barbarian and Hebrew, and all these other things, male and female, child and adult, that in Christ we are now unified as one body of believers, brothers and sisters with one another, and that is the beauty of the gospel, and why, if you have ever been outside of the States into another country, you can join right in with your brothers and sisters in worship. Right in in the saying amen as they preach God's word from the pulpit. Right in with sharing the glory of the gospel in those other nations. Why? Because one day our glorious king who has designed us all in his image will come back and will redeem every tribe and people and nation and tongue and they will stand before his throne and they will all with one voice say, worthy is the lamb who was slain, who by his blood bought us and redeemed us. And so now we can understand why in the text, this is not Paul saying, yes, slavery is good, but rather he is saying, no, 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 no. Even the foundations of our governmental and employment and economic system are going to be made new in Christ. This is a very, very radical undertaking of what we understand as even employment, employer and employee. And that, my friends, because we are no longer subject to slavery as we think as Americans, we are still workers. We're still employees. We're still employers. And so this text still applies. Thank you for sitting through my introduction. We will now begin, right? And so Paul has this Christ-centered words, and he starts with this, okay? This is how this text starts. He says, do your work as unto Christ. This is the main point that he has for the employees. And then we're going to talk about the employers, right? So for the employees, do your work as unto Christ. And he makes these points in the text. If you look at uh, verses 5 through 8, That's this. And then he shows us that we are to be obedient. The earthly master has a claim over us. You do not have the right, and and unfortunately I got fired many times because I thought I had the right to come into my place of employment. Let me tell you a stupid story, okay? You ready for this? This just shows my arrogance and my pride and my foolish, self-hearted focus before Christ. I had this job, 
at a, at, at a pub, okay? So that's not it. Don't judge me for that. We all got to work, right? So whatever. But I had this job at the pub, and I was a waiter. And I got fired from that job because I distinctly remember uh, one of the rules was when you deliver a beverage to somebody, and it didn't always have to be alcohol, just any kind of beverage, what you did is you put a napkin on the table and you put the beverage on top of the napkin, okay? Well, uh, I don't know if you know this, but when a beverage is cold, what happens to the outside of the glass? It sweats, right? And then I don't know if you also knew this, but when your glass sweats and it sticks to the napkin, the napkin will either stick to the table or it'll stick to the glass. You'll pick it up and it's kind of this constant struggle and then you've got wet pieces of napkin on the table and all those kind of things. Side note, by the way, if you take salt and put it on your napkin, you can put the cup on top of it and it won't stick, okay? Learned that trick. Here's what I decided. This was the rule is, hey, when you go to a table, you put down the napkin and then you put down the drink. And I decided I'm not going to do that because I don't like the napkin sticking to my glass. And the manager said, well, this is how we do things here. So you're going to be putting napkins down. My response was, no, because I no longer work here. Here's my apron. You fool. My mom just scoffed. I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> For those of you watching online, there was an audible scoff by my mother. And rightly, there should have been. But our earthly employers have a claim over us. We have a job to do. And as employees, we ought to do it. We ought to be obedient to the things that they're asking us to do so far as it does not cause us to sin against our ultimate master, Christ, right? But if you go to work, there should be no issue here. We should be able to clock in, or if your salary, show up on time, and you should be able to do the things that they're asking you to do, which brings me to the second thing that he says here in the text, which is basically we should work wholeheartedly here. Uh, this should not be something that we're doing halfway. As, as you see this, let me scroll back up to, to the text here. He says, uh, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not as a way of eye service. And so we should be not only obedient, but we should work wholeheartedly. You know, I don't know if you feel this way right now. I hope that you don't. But there was also a period of time in my life where, where one of the things that I thought was, you know, I'm going to see how far I can skate today, right? Especially on Fridays, right? Or maybe for you, it's Mondays. But that's our heart condition naturally. That's a heart condition of sin that has not been repented of because what we think to ourselves is, you know, I just want to punch in. I want to do the bare minimum just so I can get my check. And, that, and, and that's all. I'm not going to go above and beyond. You know, when I was in the Air Force, I know some of you make fun of me for that because you, you, were, you were in one of the real branches of military, okay? But in the Air Force, one of the things that, one of the mantras that we had, as, as all of them do, right, was integrity first, service before self, excellence in all we do. Can we say that? Because we are part, as we're going to hear next week, of a much bigger armed force than any Air Force, any Army, any Navy that this world has ever seen. And not only that, but understand what he's talking about. What does it say here? Do your work as unto Christ. At the end of the day, can you hang your hat on the work that you've accomplished because you're actually doing it for Jesus? Not for Bob or Tom or Stan or 
Layla or Lois or whatever, as an employee, you have the ability to do that job because God has blessed you. Sometimes I also, I mean, this goes all the way back to Genesis, folks. When God created us in his image, he said, okay, good, now now you're here. Now you can work and keep the garden. What was one of the words I just used there? Work. Yet a lot of us, we just live for the weekend. We live for our time off. We live for retirement. We think, hey, that's the goal. The goal is ease and the goal is leisure and the goal is, is fun and entertainment. No, the goal is work. We are designed to work. We find our fulfillment and our joy in work. Not the same kind of fulfillment we find in Christ. I trust that you're able to follow me here. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Men, I I know some of you men can testify. You've You've had friends Co-workers, brothers, people you've known. You've heard the stories. He was at work at the factory, right? He was, this is his last week of work. He was excited. He hit retirement. Three weeks later, he drops dead. Work willingly. It shouldn't be like pulling teeth. We should be working diligently and subserviently. Working willingly, not as people pleasers, not as only when they're watching you, but you should be seeking out the things to do. And then also, he says here, work expectantly. Where do I get that from? Well, does it not say that we will have a reward? Well, they don't pay me enough. Well, okay. Let me ask you this, American. Have you ever went hungry? Yeah, you might have to go without some things. You might have to make budgetary choices, right? But if you can flush your toilet then you are richer than 90% of the people out there in the world today. If you can turn your faucet on and water comes out, you are more wealthy than most of the people. Not only that, should we not be storing up for ourselves treasure in heaven rather than here on this earth? There's proverb upon proverb, saying upon saying about like, look, you can store up all the wealth. I mean, let's just take somebody crazy rich, right? Like, what's his name? Bezos or Musk. I mean, they, do you understand how hard they have to try to spend all their money? I mean, how many, how many houses and cars and yachts? Like how much you can, you can only wear one pair of underpants at a time, let alone all that other stuff. Some of you are going to go home and put on like 13 pair of underpants today just to prove me wrong. Joke's on you if you do. So now let's move on, right? So, so he, and, and, and here's the other thing you might be thinking. This is unfair. Why does he have so many things for employees and just this one thing for employers? Well, the fact of the matter is there's a lot more employees than there is employers. And our own hearts, knowing our own hearts, knowing my own heart. So I'll just speak for myself. It's a lot easier for my heart to desire to complain when I am the employee and not the employer. Although, being an employee, if I had to employ me, I might complain some. So your employees can cause you heartache too. I'm, I, I know that that's the case, right? But uh, So same idea. And then this is what he says. 
uh, to them. He, he says, look, just as you were in Christ as an employee, you are also in Christ as an employer. And so just like we're talking about for children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Why? Be, he, I don't know if, you're, if you've caught this so far. But the whole thing Paul is saying is, husbands love your wives, lives love your husbands. Why? Because you're in Christ. That's what Christ would do. Children, obey your parents. Parents, parent well. Why? Because you're in Christ. That's what Christ would do. The bracelets that were popular in the 90s or whatever, right? Like, that was a great idea for the time. And then it got so stupid because everybody was wearing them. People who you know, you're like, well, you, I just, you know, you shouldn't even have that. What, you know, uh, but it was a thing. You guys remember the thing? But here's, here's what he's saying here. He's treat your workers as you would Christ. So if you are an employee, this text is for you. And if you are an employer, this text is for you. And here was what he says. He says, firstly, you need to practice this mutuality. We need to understand as employers that these people are made in the image of Christ, that they are redeemed just as much as we are. That they're, and, and so now think of this in the context of slavery, which is where he's talking about here, right? And people like Aristotle, they're saying, hey, this is just a, this is just a cognizant tool, just like a, a tool is an unconscious slave. Think about how this turns this entire world upside down. That a master is supposed to practice mutuality? And if you don't believe that, look at Jesus, who disrobed himself and washed the feet of the disciples. And then said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And if you are my disciple, do likewise who rebuked them when they had this fight over who was the better out of them and say, the Gentiles are the ones that lord that over one another, but it shouldn't be so with you. And so employers are to practice mutuality and, and then also to avoid hostility. That we ought to treat one another with kindness and love. You know, the Lord has forgiven me some pretty serious things, and I, I'd, I'd, I'd be willing to bet that if you're in Christ, you could say the same. And yet we are so harsh with those who are under our charge because we tend to forget the grace of our God. He gives a parable for that too, doesn't he, of the the one who owed like millions of dollars to the king and he comes in and the king forgives his debt and then he goes out and he, he chokes out his fellow servant about a couple pennies, about some lunch money. So we are to avoid hostility and he, he also tells us here in the text that employers are to seek accountability. And again, I, I would turn you to that, to that letter of Philemon or, or Philemon. That's exactly what was happening here. Uh, one Semis or Onesimus. I, I don't, I, these names are crazy. Why can't they just be like John and Matt and Bob? But when Onesimus, this slave, flees, finds Christ, finds Paul, is then sent back, and, and what Paul is doing is he's giving Philemon, he's giving him accountability. 
And, and, and also he's exposing our accountability because here, here's the thing, like it or not, we are accountable. Like it or not, Jesus sees. Jesus knows. Jesus hears. He is omnipresent, omniscient. He knows. He knows your thoughts before you utter them. And so like it or not, employer, we are accountable. In the text, it says so. And so seek that. Seek that by other people, because usually, most of us, probably everybody in this room, uh, you're probably, even if you are the, a boss or a manager, you, you may not be the, the head boss. That's even more rare than, than the middle management kind of thing in our, in, our, in our country, unless you're a small business owner or something like that. But we ought to be seeking accountability because, we, because here, here's the deal. One day we will give an account, just like husbands will give an account for their wives and parents for their children or leaders in the church for how we minister to the body of believers. So will employers give an account for how they're treating their employees, especially, especially if you claim to be a Christian and are an employer. And then lastly, he says here that we ought to, employers ought to arbitrate impartially. I always, man, there was a teacher. I can hear it right now. Mr. Gross, office. Yeah, okay. Yep. All year, every year, except for track season, because I could hurdle, all right? Because I could hurdle back in the day. I know you wouldn't, I'm not hurdle type. I, I understand that, but there was a time. And so all the time, Mr. Gruss, office. And I'm like, yeah, I know. In fact, I don't know if you're ready for another sigh. I used to have, I used to have my own cubicle. I would, I'm not joking. Throughout all high school, I would go down to the library. It was like a back room in the library where all the, all the us kids went. And I would go there often, and I had my own cubicle. How you doing, Mrs. So-and-so? I'll be in my space. the point that I tell you that story is I felt like he had it out for me. I felt like if there was two of us in the same room, he could walk in the room and it'd be Mr. Gruss office. And I'm like, I, I was what? Okay. You know, and, cause I'm truth be told, I, it's gonna, it's, I'm going to do something anyway. So I'll just go now, but arbitrate impartially. You can't pick favorites. You, you, you know, uh, we, we have to be honest and have integrity with the choices that we make. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we all are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. God is not partial. And so as Christians who represent Christ to our employees, we ought to not be partial either. So, the application of this, because this is talking about all these things, right? I have some... I have some great quotes that I think are great that I want to I, I, I wanna give to you. They may even be on your notes. I'm not sure. Maybe that's next week. I think that's next week I have some really good quotes because I know we're going to end early next week so that we can join our, our neighbors next door. John of the Cross says, Do not imagine that God is pleased with many good works so much as with the doing of them with goodwill without self-seeking or human respect. Now, And you can, employ the, you can, you can put these both in the camp of for the employer and the employee, right? So do not imagine that God is pleased with many good works, but rather doing them without self-seeking. 
to further that, labor as if everything depended upon your labor. Put no trust in your labor, but let all your dependence be upon God, the Holy Ghost. And then finally, do little things as though they were great because of the majesty of Jesus Christ who does them in us and who lives our life and do the greatest things as though they were little and easy because of his omnipotence. And so the way that this applies to us, really, so yes, he's talking to slaves and to masters, but he's talking to them in the context of what? Please don't miss that. In Christ. So the way this applies to us, beloved, is Christ changes everything. It ought to change everything. It ought to change our relationships even down to the ones of which there is no necessarily love for one another, but that love ought to be born out of the gospel of Christ. So employees work through Christ. Work like Christ. Work for Christ. Employers lead through Christ. Lead like Christ. Lead for Christ, because the gospel of Christ changes everything. And that is why we should never, ever waste our work. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, it is to your glory that you have made us to work.